0: Great to have them here. It's great to have you here. You know, we've been going over uh, Paul's traveling agenda over the last few weeks as he's been on his second missionary journey and through uh, Asia Minor and then Greece. And we've been receiving some postcards from Paul, just letting us know a little bit what it's like. And in fact, here's the the map we've been looking at for the past uh, several weeks. You see here in this map, we got the map. There we go, the map. We talked about going through Asia Minor and up to Troas, and he took the ship across to Philippi. And if you remember a few weeks ago in Philippi, that uh, Paul found himself in jail after he was beaten and flogged and other niceties happened to him. He was he was kicked out of the city, and so he went to uh, Thessalonica with uh, with Silas and Timothy, and they were there, and Paul and Silas uh, were there, and. The Bible tells us that there was a riot after getting off to an okay start. But uh, some some people wanted the Lord. uh, It told us that some Jews were one, but mostly Greeks. But the Jews started a riot, and he ended up having to leave town, him and Silas. They traveled then about 45 miles to Berea, and you see Berea there inland. Uh, The Scripture in Acts 17 tells us, that the Bereans were of a more noble character than the Corinthians or the Thessalonians. And so they received the Lord, and they studied it, and they, they studied the word, and we're told that um, there was a response there. In fact, it tells us that there was a response from, from many Jews, which was unusual, and even uh, prominent women of, the, of Greek women and many Greek men all responded, and so it seemed like, ah, oh, finally, Finally, I've got a spot where I can be successful. But the word tells us that the folks from Thessalonica heard about it, the Jewish folk, and and so they heard that he was having success in Berea, so they sent a crew down there to stir up the city, and they did it. And so the same thing happened again. There was was, uh, disruption, abuse. Uh, We're told it was just a bad situation. They had to leave, and Paul left. Alone, not he didn't have Silas and Timothy with him. He had a few traveling companions who made sure he got there safely. But he took off at night, went the 240 miles all the way down to the southern portion of Greece, into um, Athens. And so, Athens. We'll go back a second. Athens. He's in Athens, and he comes there. And while in Athens, he finds the intellectual elite, as we might expect. Socrates, Aristotle, those you know, folks who had populated Athens. It wasn't a big city. It was a small city, but it was, the, it was the, really the university city. It was the college elite, the educational center. And so you would go there. In fact, the scripture tells us in, in Acts 17 that everybody who lived in Athens, all the Athenians, and everybody who passed through town did nothing but sit around and talk and listen. that's all they did they were were these intellectuals and so Paul was invited to enter into that which would have been thrilling for Paul I would think he loves to discuss and persuade and they even invited him to the aeropagus and went there and, and he was taken there and instead of being received positively instead of being beaten instead of even being persecuted he was laughed at the scripture says he was scorned they sneered at him And so, dejected, he leaves town with just a few converts, and now he does go to Corinth. And today we have greetings from Corinth from the Apostle Paul. Corinth was an important city in Greece, one of the most, if not the most important city in Greece. It had been a city of over a million until somewhere around 146 BC when the city was destroyed in war and, and it lost pretty much of its glamour and glory. Right around 44, 45, 46 BC, um, Julius Caesar rebuilt the city, and so Paul is entering into a fairly new city, as opposed to an ancient city. Most of these buildings are fairly new; some of them still being built, most likely, and probably a population now of about 200 thousand. And so he comes into this city, and actually you see one reason why it was so important when you look at the next picture. It's a map of just that southern portion, the region of Achaia, and it is there, and it's the Macedonia up north. He's left Macedonia, and and he's come to Achaia, and he's down there, and you see Corinth. What's interesting is this, this region of Achaia is a is, is the southern region, and the only connection of southern Greece to northern Greece is that little isthmus that you see there, that little piece of land about four and a half to five miles wide, or three and a half to four miles, I believe, three and a half to four miles at its, at its narrowest point, which is close to Corinth. And so Corinth, where it was, was, could basically controlled two ports, the port to the north and the port to the south. And so it became an area where people would come through and cross and you would stay and go and stay and go. It was kind of like the Las Vegas of Greece, you know. You're just there and then you leave and a lot of visitors. And it's really important to note because that was a key area of trade to go through there. But if you're looking, you say, well, how do you get your boats across? That's land, right? Well, very ingenious. The Diocles. the Dioclas the is the next picture you see here. They actually built this road from the one body water to the other body water. It's three and a half to four miles long. And you would pull up your boat to there. They would unload your boat to make it as light as possible. They would pull the boat up on this road, and then they'd back a trailer or something with some sort of a wheel type uh, vehicle, and then it would be carried across. They would load the boat on that trailer and carry it across. Take it and put it in the, uh, the other body of water, either the north or south, wherever the way you're headed. And then they'd reload it with everything that was in it. Well, what are you going to do with all your free time while that's happening? You're going to go to Corinth and you're going to spend your money and you're going to be involved in the activities there. So that's why this is kind of a bustling town and they would, they would do that. You might wonder like I did, why don't you just dig a ditch and drive your, take a boat through a canal? You know, doesn't that make sense? If it's, well, they, actually Nero tried to do that. About 15, years, about 15 years later after Paul. Uh, but he found it a little bit too difficult. In fact, it wasn't even finished until the late 1800s. You can take a look at this. You can understand why. <laughs> That's more than just a little ditch. Uh, the technology and the, the equipment wasn't available until the 19th century to finish this. And you can take a cruise through the Canal Corinth, the Corinth of Canal right there today. But that would not have been what Paul would have been walking into. Paul, Paul would have been walking into uh, Corinth, and he would probably be maybe coming in on this road here. This is the Lechoine Road. I don't know if I got that pronunciation right, but it's close enough. It, it actually goes from the port Right into the middle of town, it ends at the Agora. And so you'd be coming into town here, that's about 20 to 25 feet wide. You can see sidewalks on either side for the people to walk. And you can see the shops. In fact, the next next picture, you see a little bit of the road, but you also see more of the shops on the side, and you can see that there. But this road would have ended at the Agora. And the Agora is the main marketplace, and that's the next picture, where Paul would have very likely been selling his tents, may have even been working with Aquila and Priscilla, as we read here, and selling his, his goods. And a lot of activity would have been here in the, in the marketplace of the Agora. And finally, the final picture is a picture very like what Paul might have seen. These are ruins that were actually ruined from when Corinth was originally destroyed in war, and we're standing when Paul would have been there. This is the, the Temple of Apollo. And you can see that there, and, and it's still standing today from many, many years BC, and would have been like Paul might have experienced at that time. So Paul walks into this cosmopolitan happening place, this city, and we pick up the story in Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Acts chapter 18, verse 1, if you have your Bible with, with you. If not, the words will be up here on the screen, and we'll be reading. It starts like this. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Just one point here. Uh, What we find from historians are statements about this occasion of Claudius evicting all the Jews from Rome. And it says there, most cases, that it was due to the uprising because of this man named Christus. So Christianity had come to Rome by this time. And it was causing the same kind of uproar, apparently, that it was causing in Philippi and Thessalonica and everywhere else. And so, finally, the emperor, um, Claudius, says, I've had enough, and he evicted him. So Aquila and Priscilla come to Corinth, where they meet up with Paul, and they are all tent makers and working. Reading on. Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned with the syn- in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul he became, and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and the entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One day, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them, the Word of God. You see the, the story here. You get what's happening. Paul arrives alone, a dejected, disappointed. Things were not going the way that he wanted them to go or had hoped they would go. And, and he's alone. He finds Aquila and Priscilla, but pretty soon we see Timothy and Silas. They do arrive, but it seems like the pattern is repeating itself. In fact, it's getting worse. We don't see anybody at first coming to Christ. We don't see anybody as responding. It just says the folks rejected him. They they became even abusive to Paul. And so Paul is in this situation where, oh no, it looks like it's happening again and again. So much so, they are opposing him so much, he needs to leave the synagogue. The Lord has a place next door for him. It was the place of Tidiest justice. And so he goes next door. And that's, you know, just the way God works. This place next door, he must have still been able to get the ear of Crispus, the synagogue leader or the synagogue ruler. Because we're told that the synagogue ruler became a believer. Not just him, but his family. And not just believe and, and quietly believe, but they were baptized. If you thought... The pressure was on Paul before. <laughs> Start converting the ruler of the synagogue. Start converting some of the key people. And the Jewish leaders, I'm sure, were turning up the heat. The abuse would have kept going. It would have continued. And Paul, I can imagine in this circumstance, would just be, and if I was Paul, I'd be saying, okay, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. I go into a city, I get a little thing going, but the abuse and the persecution happens and I got to leave in the middle of the night, skip town. Lord, what's going on here? I I think that's a lot of what Paul was thinking because we're actually told a little bit of what Paul was thinking. When he wrote back to the Corinthian people two or three years later, he wrote back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Verse 1, and he says this When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in great fear and trembling. Did you get that? I came to you in weakness and in great fear and trembling. That does not sound like the Apostle Paul I know and read about. I wrote down some, just a few adjectives that I think of when I think of the Apostle Paul things like strong, courageous, uncompromising, passionate, fearless. I, I, I just, for some of you, I have this view of Paul as being totally fearless. Thrown in the prison, yeah, no problem. Come at me, you know, getting beat. But Paul says here, no, I come to you in weakness. That word weakness is is, is sickly, feeble. I'm beat up. I'm beat up. A prison, those beatings in Philippi, they were tough. That riot in, in Thessalonica, that was so discouraging. And they, even, they couldn't even let, leave well enough alone. They had to come bother me in Berea. We had a great thing going in Berea. Then I go to Athens and they laugh me off. Mm. Not what I expected, not what I wanted. And then he says this, I came in fear and trembling. When the Bible uses those terms together, coming in fear and trembling, listen to this. It's used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability completely to meet all the requirements but religiously does his utmost to fulfill his duty. I come in fear and trembling. I I can't do this. I distrust completely my ability to do this. I can't do it, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna religiously carry out my duty, in fear and in trembling. Paul is experiencing emotions a lot like we experience. When we run into situations that drive us nuts, that don't turn out the way we expected them to turn out. When circumstances turn against us. In fact, as I've looked at this, I, I see Paul experiencing emotions a lot like we do. The emotion of disappointment. Disappointment. Is a dissatisfaction when expectations are not realized. Dissatisfaction when expectations are not realized. I I think Paul, I mean, God had called him to Macedonia, said, come, we need you. If God called me into something, I would think, God, you are going to bless it and it's going to bust loose. And everywhere he went, opposition, Everywhere he went, tribulation. Everywhere he went, rejection. Even laughed at. Because sometimes things don't go your way. Things that the results aren't what I expected and we get disappointed. Sometimes it's disappointment with family. Sometimes it's, maybe it's disappointment with a marriage. It's not going where I thought it was gonna go maybe with a job. I have a friend, an acquaintance, who just recently moved 500 miles with his wife for his dream job, only to find out within a month it wasn't his dream job. (laughs) Oh, the people had not represented themselves, honestly. The job was much different or not what he had expected it to be. And and now you're left. I'm frustrated. Things did not come out, turn out the way I wanted it to be. But worse yet, we, we sometimes have that in our ministries, a lot like Paul did. God's called me to this ministry, and I was expecting more people to show up. <laughs> I was ex- expecting a greater response. I was expecting everybody to say, yes, let's go do this. And, let's, and, and we, we become frustrated. Sometimes, too, we become frustrated. That's disappointed. Sometimes we become frustrated. Frustrated is that feeling of being thwarted and attempting my goals. I just, I, I, I can't do, no matter what I do, no matter what I do. Someone joked with me last week, were you serious when you said, I wonder if Paul is rethinking his strategy? <laughs> and I said, well, it was, it was kind of tongue in cheek, but, but I think maybe, maybe Paul is here saying, I'm frustrated. I'm not getting, I, I'm not getting the results I wanted. It's not happening. Have you ever been, have you ever been doing something, and, and, you, and, and even in ministry again, but the results that you want aren't happening? Maybe there's somebody you've been ministering to, somebody you've been caring for, maybe somebody in your family, maybe someone that's one of those addicted ones, and you, you work and you pour your life into them, and you believe God's called you to that, and, and you're not seeing results, and so you become frustrated. I think Paul is frustrated, but biggest, I think Paul is discouraged. It seems here he's just a little bit discouraged, which basically is despair in the face of obstacles. Have you ever been discouraged? You look at the obstacles and you say, wow, this is just just big. What am I going to do? I read somewhere that that, that despair is a common malady. But it's more than common for some of us. It's an epidemic. And it's been called an epidemic of the soul where things just aren't going our way. Life is tough. Physical issues, job issues, home issues. But for the church, ministry issues. Boy, we all get discouraged. We all get discouraged. In fact, Billy Graham said it this way. He said, the Christian life is not a constant high. but I hear some amens there. <laughs> the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement. This is Billy Graham. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me. Do you notice that's an or? It could be an and, but in this case, maybe it's, maybe it's, the dis- disillusionment, the discouragement, the disappointment, the frustration is because of something in my character, something in me not disobeying or by disobeying God. And so I need to go him for forgiveness. But maybe it's just, I need your help. I can't do this alone. So Billy Graham says, in my deep discouragement, I go to God in prayer. I start with him in prayer. And then I say, forgive me and or help me help me i was reminded as i was looking through this of an old chinese legend it's a it's a legend that goes back i think a long time obviously and but it's a story about the devil and the devil is holding an auction he's going out to sell his tools he's selling everything that he has and so he's selling things like, you know, the things he uses to work on people, anger, lying, deceit, uh, disappointment, discouragement, all those things that come our way. And, and so people come up and they, the, the buyers come up and they said, well, what, what is that? And he says, well, this one's hatred, this one's envy, jealousy, deceit, lying, pride, and, and on and on. And you saw the, the price tags on them. And so people are going shopping, okay, I can get Envy, I get, here's a price tag. And then it says, the story goes that the buyer came to this one object. And the object looked well-worn. And he says, what's that? And I says, oh, that's my, that's my precious, that's my most useful item. And he goes, well, why is it so, is it so expensive? And he says, because I have most success with this than everything. In fact, this was priced so high, no one could afford it he says, well, what is it? He says, it's discouragement. He says, discouragement. You know, folks can recognize me when I come at them in all the other ways. But I can use this, and all I need is a little, a little cut, a little break to get in where where I can open up in their lives, open up their heart, break it open, and I can fill it with discouragement. You know, this is a log splitter. I was told it is, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure how you hold it. No, I've used these before. I've used these before. But you know what you do. Sometimes what we do on really tough logs, we get small ones, and you drive in the small ones, try to get, the, try to get just a little fissure and a little opening in that log. And then when you get that little opening, then you get the big one in, and you hit it. But it always, but Satan says, all I need is that little opening. The thing about discouragement is I can use that in many, many ways. And the best part is, they don't even know it's me. They don't even know it's me. I just get that wedge and just get it in a little bit. And so, in our lives, discouragement is like that. It's been said that discouragement is like a baby. The more you nurse it, the bigger it grows. And it does. Our discouragement can come in, just like in Paul's life, when things don't go our way, we are discouraged. Warren Wiersbe, author, pastor says this, the remedy for discouragement is the word of God. The remedy for discouragement is the word of God. Hmm. When you feed your heart and mind on its truth, you regain your perspective and find renewed strength. That was the case with Paul. He needed to regain his perspective. He needed renewed strength. And he needed a word from God. Now today, we have God's word to us. Paul received a direct word from God. Did you notice that in our reading this morning? It went like this. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in the city. In my Bible, those words are in red. Words of Jesus. Words of Jesus to Paul. And he says this as a word of encouragement. In fact, I look at this in closing, I see two commands, two promises, and a word of encouragement. And I think as we're going through some, maybe some, some distress, some, some discouragement, some disappointment, some frustration, we need these this morning too. The first one is simply this, fear not. He told him to fear not. Do you know that is the most given command in Scripture? Fear not, do not be afraid. Starts with Abraham. It goes through Joshua, the great fighter. Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'll go through and find all the fear nots. I figure if it's there a lot, it's probably because it's a problem with us, right? Do you see any commands in the Bible uh, that say um, don't eat poison mushrooms No, we know that. (laughs) That's not a problem. I don't eat poison mushrooms. I fear. I fear. Because I'm disillusioned, disappointed, frustrated. Lord, what's happening? He says, fear not. Joshua. Joshua, the great, mighty warrior of God, came in and experienced one of the great battle victories of the world, history of the world, the Battle of Jericho. You know about that. You walk in, you walk around the city, blow a few trumpets, and boom, the walls fall down. That was Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 8. He's looking, talking to God, and he's saying, Lord, why did you even bring us here? They'd just gotten walloped. Walloped in another battle, the battle of I, AI. But God speaks to him and he says this. He says, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Joshua 8:1. He says, We need some things we got to deal with here. There's some sin. We got to take care of the sin. Kind of like Billy Graham said, where there's a forgive me, forgive me. Take care of the sin, but do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go and do. Then he says this First of all, fear not. Second thing is keep preaching, keep preaching. That's a more specific command. I think the command, do not be afraid, because it's in all through the scriptures, be not afraid, fear not, is is a general command. We see that through the whole council of scripture. Uh, Keep preaching is specifically for him, but I think it tells us keep doing what God's called you to do. If God's called you to preach, don't stop preaching. If God's called you to teach, don't let some discouragement, don't let some setbacks stop you from doing what God's called you to do. Keep doing it. Keep doing what God's called you to do. Paul, if you're going to be a world changer, discouragement is going to come your way. Disillusionment is going to come your way. Frustration is going to come your way. But keep keep doing what I've called you to do. Keep preaching. Whatever God's called you to do, he says right here, fear not and do what I've told you to do. And then there's these whys. There's two whys. The first one is I am with you one of the great promises throughout the Bible. Do you many, go back and look how many times God says to somebody, I am with you. Go look and start researching how many times God's, fear not, I am with you. He said, I am with you. And again, that is not just a promise for Paul. That's a promise for all of us. When Jesus gave his great command, he said, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of this age. When he was leaving to go with his father, he said, I'm going, but I am sending the Holy Spirit to be with you always. He'll be in you. And throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, in fact, in Hebrews thirteen five says this, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so Paul has these, Paul's been told, fear not, keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to be with you. And then he gets the, the cherry on top of the Sunday. Uh, the cherry on top of the sundae, the icing on the cake, the pepperoni on the pizza, you know, the, all that kind of stuff. Then, then he says this, and here's what, you will be safe. No one's going to harm you. Now, again, we know that was for Paul because not everybody was promised safety. Tell Stephen that he was promised safety. He was martyred. Tell the martyrs down through the ages safety. That's not necessarily what we're promised, but here's what I, tell, here's what I believe. I believe if Paul had heard that command, uh, fear not. Keep preaching, and that promise, I am with you, that was enough. I think that was enough. For us, in our ministries, and what we're doing, I think it's enough to hear from God. Fear not. Keep doing what you're doing because I am with you. That's enough. The rest is gravy, whipped cream, <laughs> it's, it's the icing. God, you're with me. Paul, you're not going to be harmed. And if you read through the rest of the story, you find out in a strange twist, it wasn't Paul that got beat up. It was the new synagogue leader, the ruler of the synagogue. The Jewish leader got beat up. Why, the Bible really doesn't say. But Paul was protected. And then he has an encouragement, the same encouragement he gave Elijah. You remember Elijah last summer? After Elijah was frustrated, after his great victory, he said, I just want to die. God came and said, you know, to Elijah, oh boy, I've got, I've got several hundred more uh, that have never bowed their knees to, to Baal. You don't know about them. Well, here he says this, I have many other people. I have an encouragement for you. You're not the only one. Elijah, those 7,000, I think it was, people. There's many others out there. You're not in this alone. Remember, we talked about partnerships last week. You're not in this alone. That's a word of encouragement from God to him, to Paul. The word of God. We hear the word of God, most of us not directly. We're not gonna walk home and hear a voice, but we have God's word right here to encourage us through our times of disillusionment, our times of disappointment, despair. Read Psalms. A man... who knew disappointment and discouragement. Psalm 37, 34, 17, he writes this, the righteous cry out, the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. In 55, verse 22 of Psalms, he writes this, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Paul got this encouragement from the Lord. And you, we read what it said there at the end. He stayed 18 months. 18 months. He got to put down his roots a little bit. Got to disciple some of these new Christians. He got to share the word of God again and again and again. And get to know some people and develop some relationships. Troubles didn't stop, though. That's four or five years later. He wrote a second book to Corinthians. And he writes this in chapter 4. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. He goes on and says this in verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since we have seen, is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. I think when we're ready to give God the glory through our trials, through our tribulations, through our despair, he is ready to do a great work. And all he's saying is, remember, I'm with you. I am with you. Fear not. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm with you. I'm with you. And that should be enough. Let's stand together. I just asked the worship team to come and we're just gonna sing a little bit of this, this song that we sang earlier, Broken Pieces. Amazing grace. Maybe, I know this has been a tough week for a lot of people. And maybe, you, maybe you're just in the midst of frustration and discouragement And you want to come pray. Maybe you want to come pray and and be anointed. But whatever you want to do, we'd be glad to spend some time in prayer with you. So we're going to just sing through this quickly. If you want to come pray, uh, let's come do it. And uh, let's, let's worship him together. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are open to your working in our lives. Lord, where Satan has tried to crack our lives and fill it with discouragement. Lord, we pray you would take that opening and fill it with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill it with messages of your grace and mercy for us. Lord, with that message that you are with us, you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. With that message of to be not fearful. Lord, I know there are difficulties there are struggles that we face. And Lord, being here today, they do not go away. And walking out those doors, some folk here, Lord, are gonna face some mighty difficult circumstances. Lord, I pray that discouragement would not be part of their lives. The frustration, the Lord, this, this sense of distress would be gone and replaced by, Lord, a confidence, a quiet confidence in you. Lord, where, where we don't have that, we come as Billy Graham praying, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for where something is between us. Lord, something we need to deal with in our lives. Lord, if it's, if it's something that you need to do that we can't do, help us, Lord, to rely on you, to put our trust and faith in you day by day, step by step. And Lord, help us to go not to just live lives of limping or, Lord, just uh, uh, barely getting by, but Lord, that we are triumphant, that we are more than conquerors. through your, your love and mercy and grace has been poured out on, on us. Go with us this week. Help us to be a light in this world that is broken. Help us to bring encouragement where there's discouragement. Help us bring joy where there's depression. Lord, where there's sadness. And Lord, help us to bring a confidence in you that comes not because of anything we have, but because of who you are and what you've promised for us. And we'll give you the praise for it's in Jesus' name who gave all for us And we live for him. This is his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Go and serve him this week.